Welcome to Marriage Day Podcast. I'm Jimmy Evans. This is my wife, Karen. And this podcast exists to help every couple thrive in marriage. We're glad that you've joined us. We're talking today, Karen, about I Changed My Mind. This is a series of messages talking about changing our thinking. Okay. And this program today is about our attitude, the importance of our attitude. Now, this is, uh, and this is the truth now, and I've been preaching for 40 years. If I could only bring three messages, this would be one of them. Uh, your attitude determines your success in life more than any other issue, any other issue. And so we're talking about attitudes in marriage. Your attitude dramatically affects whether you're going to succeed or fail. Okay. So we're going to talk about that. And I think we have some questions. Let me read one to you first. Um, this is from our listeners. My wife and I have been married for 16 years. And sometimes we don't feel like a married couple anymore, but just feel like we're roommates. Mm -hmm. How can we break this cycle and feeling? Well, I think every couple goes through this. Mm -hmm. I mean, you get in a rut, same thing, routine, working, coming home, eating, sleeping. And um, I I think for you and I, what helps is we get out of the routine. We get step out like, you know, we started going to the gun range or we go to movies. You know, like you always say, date night's so important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just... Find little things. I mean, little things mean a lot. Yeah. You know, like sometimes I'll just say, hey, let's go sit on the back porch tonight. And, you know, just it, if you get out of those ruts, you know, it's a simple, simple fix. Yeah. You know, just be creative and just find new ways. Yeah. And you're talking, it says, how can we break this cycle and feeling? Because when you just keep the same cycle going, it's going to produce the same feeling. And so and the other thing is, Karen, that what we did for many years is, is, uh, when I was super busy and when our kids were teenagers, every six weeks to two months, we would just take a weekend away. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, we were broke and we went about 30 miles away to cheap motels mm-hmm. and stayed. But but being together, but getting out of the, getting out of the cycle, mm-hmm. if you can afford, you know, to go to a nicer hotel, maybe, you know, 100 miles away or 300 miles away, drive, stay as nice hotel as you can, get out of the cycle, get out of your routine and like you said every day just do something different do do something to to break to break that doldrum uh because it's very important you fell in love by having fun with each other when your whole subject's on attitude and so yeah. you know just you know change your attitude about it just say hey let's go to you know be cheerful be happy be do something different and and put a different spin on the attitude in the whole home you know yeah and rather than making it look like work yeah make it fun mm-hmm. yeah that's good. So you have a question. Uh, how do you build up your husband and encourage him when he is struggling with depression? Well, you know, depression uh, is a dangerous thing. And, you know, you can be discouraged, but when you get depressed, that's dangerous. Yeah. And there, um, there is depression that sometimes people go into for a week or so. They lost their job or, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're going through a hard time. But there's also depression right before suicide. Mm-hmm. There's also depression that is, is a chemically based, you know, it's chemical. Uh, in some cases, it's spiritual. Um, the Bible says, Isaiah 61 says, God has given us a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And that spirit literally is a demon spirit. And the answer there is praise. When depression comes on you, you praise your way out of it. Now, there are there are different reasons for different kinds of depression. And so I'm try- not trying to put everybody in the same place. I'm saying this is a very serious thing. And literally, uh, when you're 
trying to build your husband up when he's depressed, it's like throwing a rock into a bottomless pit. It, you, you can you can be as encouraging as you want to. It's not going it's not going to fill that void. He needs to get professional help, uh, at least professional Christian counseling, but maybe medical attention uh, to make sure that if it is a biochemical kind of depression, that something's being done to help him because depression is a dangerous thing, and you just can't live there for a long time. And so, and I'm not for pushing pills on people to get them to falsely think that they're, you know, manipulated out of a circumstance. I'm forgetting to the root issue. Is the root issue loss? Is the root issue uh, discouragement, hopelessness, uh, guilt, uh, condemnation, whatever that root is? You've got to get to the root to be able to truly bring that person into a better place. Certainly, you can encourage them. Certainly, you can uh, do everything you can to get them into a better place. Ultimately, they're going to need to get help, and they're going to have to take responsibility for their own issues to deal with those issues. Okay. Well, we hope this is helpful to you. This this teaching, like I said, this is the one of the most important teachings I've ever brought in my life, and I hope it blesses you. Attitude is defined in the dictionary, first of all, as a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something typically reflected in a person's behavior. It's just a, it's a way that you think. That's what we're saying as I'm, I change my mind, is we, we can think a certain way, and that's our attitude. The second definition of attitude is a position of the body proper to or implying an action or mental state. And so, you know, when I'm preaching, I'm, I'm very thankful for attentive people, you know, while I'm preaching. But every now and then I'll be preaching on a topic and I'll look out and somebody will be going, and the way, you know, kind of by their body posture, you know, I can kind of tell they don't really appreciate the point I'm making right then. You can tell in a person's body position sometimes what their attitude is about something. Another uh, definition is the orientation of an aircraft relative to the direction of flight. It's, there's a nose up attitude in an airplane, a nose level, and a nose down. And so the attitude indicator in a plane, I'll talk about that more in just a minute, is very important. So you can't overstate the importance of an attitude in a person's life. It, it probably more than any other issue determines our success or failure in life, except maybe for being saved and knowing the Lord. And so an attitude's running groups. You can find a family with a certain attitude. You know, the Hatfields and the McCoys, you know, versus, you know, a godly family. Businesses have attitudes. I guarantee you, I can, work, I can walk into a chain, you know, a chain that's across the nation. You can walk into a store and you can expect a certain attitude. Whether that attitude is good or bad. I fly a, a lot, you know, on commercial airlines. And I guarantee you, there are airlines that have attitudes, both good and bad. And churches that have attitudes. And so I'm saying there, it runs in groups. It's not just isolated all the time. But Romans 12, this is what Romans 12 says, verse 1. And this is kind of the theme of our entire series. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word conformed literally means a schematic. It means to be identical to something else. And being conformed to the world in our thinking means we just think like everybody else. We think like the world thinks, but transformation here, this word in the Greek is metamorpho, where we get our word metamorphosis, and it means a complete change, a total transformation by the renewing of your mind. Paul is saying the transformation that God is going to do in your life is going to come as your mind is renewed. And he says, and as your mind is renewed, 
you will be able to know the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen, I don't want the good will of God. I don't want the acceptable will of God. I want the perfect will of God. But did you know when your mind is not renewed, you can't understand those things? When your mind begins to be renewed, you can understand the good will of God, and that's good. As your mind continues to be renewed, you can understand the acceptable will of God. But when your mind has been renewed, you can understand the perfect will of God for your life. So it's essential that we don't conform to other people's attitudes or way of thinking, but that we conform to biblical ways of thinking and attitudes so that we can know the perfect will of God and be successful in our lives. So let me, let me talk about uh, attitude here for just a minute. And by the way, uh, I just the question that I would ask you after reading that scripture is, do you think you have a godly attitude or a worldly attitude? And it might run in, you know, it might be segregated. It might be that in certain areas you have a good attitude, but in other areas you don't have such a good attitude. Okay, John Maxwell in his book, The Winning Attitude, here's what he says about attitude, and I love this. He says, attitude is the advanced man of our true selves. Your attitude goes before you. It's your true self. Its roots are inward, but its fruits are outward. It is our best friend and worst enemy. It is more honest and more consistent than our words. It is a thing that draws people to us or repels them. And that's absolutely the truth there. It is never content until it's expressed. It is the librarian of our past. When we go into our past and we're retrieving past events, our attitude is the librarian. And we're either going to be grateful and we're going to think about the good or we're going to be ungrateful and think about the bad. We're going to be forgiving or we're going to be bitter. It's the librarian that goes back into our past and retrieves memories and interprets those memories. It's the speaker of our present. You're always speaking through your attitudes. And it's the prophet of our future. I had a lady that came up to me after she heard my message last night and she said, Pastor Jimmy, on my computer at work, I have this quote and it says that attitudes are like flat tires. You're not going to get anywhere in life until you change it. And when you have a bad attitude, it's going to keep you from having the future that God wants you to have. It literally is the prophet of our future. President Thomas Jefferson said, nothing can stop the man with a right mental attitude from achieving his goal. Nothing on earth can help the man with the wrong mental attitude. And I absolutely believe that that's right. And so here are some, here are some truths about our attitudes. These are just some truths that, about the attitudes that we have. Number one, we choose our attitudes. They're, they're our choice. There was a man named Viktor Frankl who was a prisoner of war in Auschwitz, World War II. You remember that the, Jews, the, the Nazis killed six million Jews. It's, it's hard to get in your brain how anyone could be so evil as to kill that many people, but they killed six million Jews. And they did it in the gas chambers, mainly in the gas chambers in prisoner of war camps. Auschwitz was one of those camps. And there was a man named Viktor Frankl, and they killed his mother. The Nazis killed his mother. And then his wife and his brother both died in concentration camps. Only his sister survived. Only he and his sister survived of his immediate family. And they put him to forced labor in Auschwitz. And in the midst of his circumstances, which could not have been worse, he said, I choose to suffer with dignity. And regardless of what the Nazis do to me, I will never hate one of them. Regardless of what they do, regardless of whether they killed my mother and my brother and my wife, 
and they've put me to forced labor and exterminated six million of my fellow Jews. I choose to suffer with dignity and I will not hate them. See, they may have defeated him physically, but they never defeated him spiritually. And he got out of the concentration camp. People were dying right and left of just hunger or, or just disappointment, just having their hearts broken under the circumstances. He got out and became a motivational speaker and author and died in 1997. He lived a successful life. You choose your attitude. No one chooses it for you. The second truth about attitudes, attitudes are not caused by people or circumstances. And there is a deception that says, if my circumstances were different, I would have a better attitude. But that's just simply not true. You can't connect that to reality. We choose our attitudes regardless. Here, let me give you some examples of this. Adam and Eve were perfect people. Adam and Eve died at over 900 years old. And I'm telling you, that is old. If you're here, you're 900. I'm telling you, your face, you're old. You're old as dirt. I'm saying it right to your face. Listen, Adam and Eve had these, they were created perfect, perfect bodies in a perfect paradise. They never had to work, they never did anything. And God lived with them. God walked in the garden with them. It was perfect. And God told them there was one thing on planet earth they couldn't have, and it was a piece of fruit. And they became unthankful and rebellious and took that fruit and ate it. You couldn't have better circumstances than they had, but they had a bad attitude. David, King David is a, a really interesting example of this. In the worst times of his life, he had a fabulous attitude. And in the best times of his life, he had a bad attitude. The Psalms that we read were mostly written by King David in bad times. When Saul was pursuing him, when people were against him, when his life was being endangered. And in those times, he just had this fabulous, godly, humble, faith-filled attitude. But in the best times, Bathsheba, the census, some of the worst things that David did came in the good times. Again, you can't connect attitudes with people or circumstances. The apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16 went to Philippi to preach the gospel they took him, they beat him with rods, they threw him in prison, and at midnight he was having a worship service to God and praising God. You, ju you just can't connect it. And some, uh, some of us believe, my attitude's not right, but if my circumstances changed, it would be right. You can't, you can't connect that to reality. It's simply not true. It's simply not true. Number three, truth about attitudes. Happiness is a chosen attitude, not a state of being. We choose happiness. It's an attitude. Many people, uh, many of the, the greatest comedians in, in history have been people who came out of tragic circumstances. Now, some of you are too young, maybe, to remember Carol Burnett, but she's an example of this. Carol Burnett is a hilarious comedian. And Carol Burnett, both of her parents were alcoholics. She was raised by her grandmother. She never had a bed or a bedroom. She slept on a couch, and she studied for school by a dim light in the bathroom. But in the midst of her circumstances, listen, she decided to be happy and make other people happy. It's a choice that we have. Some people are miserable and decide to make other people miserable. It's a choice that we make. But some people who come out of the most, you know, terrible backgrounds choose happiness in the midst of their circumstances. I love these quotes. Hugh Downs said, a person, a happy person is not a person in a certain set of circumstances, but rather a person with a certain set of attitudes. Absolutely the truth. Now this, is, this next one is my favorite quote on happiness. Now listen to this, because it's the, the truth. 
Happiness cannot be traveled to, owned, earned, worn, or consumed. Happiness is the spiritual experience of living every minute with love, grace, and gratitude. If you believe that, you're headed for a good life. See, sometimes we believe that you can travel to happiness. So the years ago, one of our family members got married in Hawaii, and we got a free trip to Hawaii, praise God. That did increase my level of happiness, it did. And in Hawaii, uh, we love to play golf. My son and I love to play golf. So we played a course on Lanai, if any of you have ever been to Lanai. It was the pineapple plantation that Rupert Murdoch bought, and then he built some hotels there. And there's a golf course called The Experience at Lanai. It's just, when you see it on a postcard, it's just the most fabulous looking golf course. It's just, it's incredible, right on the ocean. And so we went out to play golf on this golf course, and so we tee off on the first hole, and I noticed these little bugs, these little, you know, kind of messing with you, you know, kind of they're little black bugs, and I kind of shoo them off, they kind of sting you, and we went to the second hole and the third hole, and you know, every hole, I'm just kind of getting more annoyed with these bugs. By the 18th hole, I'm thinking, hell must be directly below me, and this is where the demons come out. <laughs> I couldn't even think about golf, I was so miserable, they're pineapple bugs. And it, they're not on the postcards. And you look, you look at the postcard and you're thinking, happiness is in that place. Yes, except for the little demon bugs. <laughs> the devil will always tell you, you know, it, you can travel to it, you can consume it, you can wear it. Let me tell you something, if you don't have happiness right now, you won't have it then. You can choose happiness at any point in your life. It is the spiritual experience of living every moment of my life with gratitude to God. It's an attitude. It's not thrust upon me. It doesn't happen to the lucky and not happen to the unlucky. It's a choice that I make. So about a month ago or so, uh, Brent and Stephanie, our son and daughter-in-law, they went on a trip and we babysat for five days. <laughs> One-year-old grandson, five-year-old granddaughter. It was, we love, they're precious, but lollies and pappies, four days is really as long as she should go. So... Kate is our granddaughter. She's precious. Kate's full of energy. She's full of life and full of energy. And so we're babysitting. So I'm sitting there. I'm in my office. Actually, and there's a, a play area outside my office there. So I'm in my office. I'm kind of on my computer or something. She's out there playing. Just got all kinds of energy. So she gets finished. And, and Karen said, you know, dinner's ready. And so I said, okay, Kate, uh, you know, clean up your toys there. And we'll go down for dinner. And she said, Pappy, I'll, I'll pick them up later. And I said, no, Kate, go ahead and pick them up. And, and I said, pick them up and we'll go down for dinner. <laughs> And this little girl that's bouncing off the walls 30 seconds before, as soon as you tell her something to do, she doesn't want to do <laughs> The hands that hang down and the feeble knees. So I've had practice at that. So... God's dealing with you as his children. This is what the writer, don't be surprised. God's dealing with you as his children. So, you know, discipline is over when the lesson gets learned. And if Kate would have said to me, Kate, go clean up your toys. Pappy, thank you for reminding me. <laughs> I didn't hear that, but I was dreaming about it. <laughs> Pappy, thank you so much. I'm gonna go right in there and clean up my toys. And please come and see if I did it right. 
Listen, God says to us, I want you to forgive that person. (laughs) Do you know what they did to me? And we, there's little brats. And God said, it's it's pitiful. You know, when you're watching your grandkids do that, it's just like, you know, they're so cute, but you know. It's part of immaturity, right? That little pity party thing. So God looks at us as his children. Here's what he's saying. I didn't create you to be spectators. I created you to be warriors in my army and to rule and reign with me. And because of that, I'm gonna grow you up to act like me. And I want you to be responsible, mature people so that you can live a victorious life. And for that reason, I'm gonna deal with that attitude. And all of us who are raising children as parents, and when we discipline them, we're disciplining them for their good so they'll grow up and they can be responsible adults. Because I don't want my kids to go to work for someone and they say, oh, would you go over here and do that? And my kids go, <laughs> I want them to be mature, responsible adults. Say, absolutely, I'll do that and do it with the right attitude. That's what God blesses. Number five, truth about attitudes. Good attitudes precede, predict, or precede and predict success, favor and promotion. Bad attitudes precede and predict failure, disfavor, and demotion. You can predict what's gonna happen in your life by your attitudes. Now, this is an attitude indicator on an airplane. Watch this right here. This is, that's an attitude indicator. One of the most important instruments in an airplane And it's for when you can't see outside. When you can see outside, you don't need that. But when you're in instrument conditions and you can't see outside, that red dot in the middle, that white line in the middle is the false horizon. And that red dot is telling you the attitude of the airplane, whether it's nose up, level, or nose down. Obviously, if it's level, you're cruising. If it's nose up, you're climbing. If it's nose down, you're crashing. So when you can't see outside, when you can't see, so... When I got my license, a FAA examiner was in the plane with me and they put foggles on you. They put you under the hood. You can't see outside, but you can see your instruments. The FAA examiner kept, they put it in what's called an unusual attitude. The FAA examiner would take the plane, put it in an unusual attitude, you know, something banked like this. And without looking outside, with looking at that, I had to write the airplane three times. It was easy because all I had to do is just look at that white line, that dot. Listen to me. There are times in your life where you can't see Bad circumstances are going on. And it's the worst. See, if you're flying and you can't see outside and you trust your emotions or the way that you feel, you get vertigo and you'll fly the ground plane straight into the ground thinking you're flying level. That's how John Kennedy Jr. died. He was not instrument rated. He was flying over the ocean at night. He lost his visual reference and he flew straight into the ocean. When they found the wreckage of the plane, he flew that plane directly into the ocean thinking he was level because he had vertigo. Your inner ear will lie to you when you're flying. And even a very good pilot who thinks they're doing well, when they can't see outside, they'll get what's called the leans. And that means you barely dip a wing and you start flying in circles until you spiral into the ground. But you think everything's going good. And it almost is, except you have a wing that's dipped. Let me tell you something. When you're going through difficulty in life, this is your attitude indicator right here. In the book of Psalms alone, David in the worst times in his life put his eyes on God and he told us in the book of Psalms the attitudes that we should have when we're going through difficulty. And when you can't see outside, when you're going through bad times, you can hang on to this right here and it will predict whether you get out or not. Whether you pick up a wrong attitude or have a right attitude. 
Listen, Abraham Lincoln is one of the most remarkable men in history and one of our most important presidents. Listen to the life and a man of deep faith, a deep faith in God. Many people don't know of the tragedy in Abraham Lincoln's life and what he came out of to be our president. Listen to this. He had a difficult childhood, less than one year of education, formal education. He educated himself. He failed in business in 1831. He was defeated for the legislature in 1832. He failed again in business in 1833. He was elected to the legislature in 1834. He was defeated for speaker in 1838. He married a bad wife in 1842. He was also defeated for elector. Only one of his four sons lived past the age of 18. And many people don't know that. He was defeated for Congress in 1843. He was elected to Congress in 1846. He was defeated for Congress in 1848. He was defeated for the Senate in 1855. He was defeated for Vice President in 1856. He was defeated again for the Senate in 1858, and he was elected President of the United States in 1860. Let me tell you something. Don't you know, don't you know that the devil during all those bad times in his life didn't come to him and say, why don't you just have a loser tattooed on your forehead and go die somewhere? What a pathetic what a pathetic loser you are. You know what the Holy Spirit was saying? Just keep acting like president. You're going to be one one day. In the midst of his defeat, in the midst of his disappointment, he never gave up because God, God determined his attitude, not circumstances. Don't let circumstances, don't let people, don't let disappointments cause your attitude to be nose down. Because when you get a nose down attitude, it predicts problems later on. You keep that nose up. You know, we feel sorry for ourselves. Things are going bad. Your boyfriend didn't call you. Girlfriend didn't call you. Having troubles at home. Can't pay your bills. The boss is mad. And so we begin to feel sorry for ourselves or something like that. All of us have an attitude that we're in control of and it determines our success. Here are seven attitude builders. I'm five minutes away from being finished. Number one, gratitude. That, it, it is huge. If I'm thankful, if, I, if I'm thankful for what I have. Number two is faith. Faith in God, critical in my attitude. Three is humility, being a humble person, seeing myself right in the light of who God is. Number four, graciousness, treating people better than they deserve, not being the kind of a person who's always just dealing with people based on how they treat me. Number five is respect, respecting my parents, respecting the elderly, respecting people in authority, respecting uh, people of the opposite sex and people who are not like me. Number six, servanthood, not, being, not living to be served, but to serve others the way that Jesus did. Number seven is contentment. I want more, but until I get more, I'm thankful for what I have, and I don't have to have more to be happy. I'm gonna choose to be happy with what I have right now. Why well, should have a good attitude? And I'm just gonna read through these things, and I'm done. Why well, should I have a good attitude? Number one, a good attitude is Christ-like and is a good witness to others of my faith in God and the difference he's made in my life. I have it because I'm, Jesus said, you're the lie of the world. I wanna be a good witness. Number two, God knows me, he loves me, and he has a good plan for my life. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has a good plan for me. Number three, God will take my mistakes and the bad things that have happened to me and turn them around to my good, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Number four, God is bigger than my giants and mountains and nothing is impossible for him. 
Luke 18, 27, Jesus said the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Number five, Jesus defeated Satan and has given me authority over him and all of his forces. Luke 10, 19, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I'm not a victim, I'm a victor and I'm an overcomer because of the authority that Jesus has given me. Number six, Jesus died on the cross and has paid for all my sins and removed the curse of sin. Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. And finally, number seven, Jesus defeated death and hell and was resurrected the right hand of God. And he is my high priest, intercessor and advocate in heaven. Romans eight thirty four. who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen and he's listening to you right now, ready to make intercession. There is nothing in your life that he doesn't care about and that he can't change. All he's waiting for is for you to put your nose up, put trust in him, and it will change your life. Somebody say amen. amen. It's the truth. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out xomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.